What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey! Hey! What is happening, everybody? My name's Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. We are waiting on reparations. Please. Hurry up! Don't waste my time. How you doing today, ma'am, sir? I'm, I'm good. I'm a little bummed out. Just, you know... We got the results of the Virginia gubernatorial election. Yo, I literally I tweeted state. out I tweeted out today. But election day, it is like magic in the air. It feels like Christmas Eve, only I also want to throw up and cry. <laughs> Every time. It's like, oh, maybe this is the time that like da da da, you know, we really take power and then actually no, it's the opposite. Yeah. Worse than the opposite. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know. At, this, I, at the time of recording, New Jersey governor is not looking well either. Oh, uh, word! The New Jersey governor is not looking good. What about New York? I that's I mean that's governor of New York. I don't think that's up right now. Or mayor, whatever. Like the, mayor. The, oh well, that was a foregone conclusion. Somewhat. Okay. What's his name? Eric Adams won the Democratic primary. I, I thought that there was some risk with all the anti-vax protest stuff. Those. Nah, were. nah, it's fucking overblown. Those well, fuckers I mean, ain't got anything. Yeah, I don't know. This is, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not like a political expert or anything, but this doesn't bode well for the Democrats come the midterms. Um, well, I, I mean, not passing broadly popular policies is bad. Like they got to they definitely got to fix that shit or this is going to keep happening, I think. I think it's like a 
cornucopia of like bad situations kind of like you know leading into each other i think on one hand there is you know the aspect that the democrats can govern more effectively and show a little more backbone and again like you said like pass these popular policies but then you know we can't front that like a lot of this is based on like republican stupid shit too you know what i mean like at least in virginia a lot of people were saying that they fell for the a critical race theory ruse and they're concerned about education. The Virginia race swung like 30 points in like in eight days. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, yeah, yeah. Shout out to our friends at the fucking Lincoln Project. Mm-hmm. Getting it all involved for listeners who may not be aware. The but Lincoln again, Project. It's, again, it's like a bunch of little things. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, sure. I mean, oh, sure. It could, yeah. I think it all add up. Man, I think that like what is going on with how effectively the right the Republicans are are whipping up not just their base but beyond their base into a froth about these uh, cultural issues. I don't know. I think it I think it plays more of a bigger role than than people are given credit for because like Republicans do not care about policy. Progressives do. You know what I mean? Like, like, like progressives are sitting out here talking about policies and, you know, I mean, what what tax bracket is this going to be in and where's this decimal going to be and stuff like that. And conservatives are not thinking about that shit at all. They're they're Oh, Tony Morrison. Yes, that's it. We got to get to the polls right now. I mean, and then, you know, centrist stayed home. The left stayed home either, you know, for other separate reasons, imaginably. Um, OK, I'm imagining that this is what happened. Liberals were like, well, we oh, Joe Biden's president. We won the Senate. Hooray. We don't have to worry about shit. Stay at home. The left, dis, dis, uh, what's it, disaffected by like the lack of action by the Biden administration. The fact that he was even our presidential candidate at all. <laughs> Everybody stay home. So there, so on both sides, there's either folks that gave up because they thought they we had won and everything was fine and they were no longer needed, and then the other side that like thought that stop playing the game, like we I don't want to play this game anymore. There's no way to actually win in the system, and here we are. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's, oh, it's no. gonna be it's gonna be tricky. It's gonna be tricky because I I just don't think I don't know. I just don't think that like as the Republicans start to. <laughs> take back power and stuff like that i think that we're gonna like we're gonna experience shit that texas is experiencing right now like they're gonna start doing stuff that's going to have like an actual tangible like effect on all of our lives and stuff like that so i mean it's just gonna be down to what you know what people prioritize you know what i'm saying i'm not gonna be sitting around in about a year when like they implement nationwide stop and frisk. You know what I'm saying? And some cops pulling me over for some no reason, asking me for my papers and shit like that. I'm not going to be sitting there being like, oh man, if only the Democrats had run somebody that I like. You know what I mean? So it's like if people, I mean, hey, again, I don't, I hate doing like these disclaimers of, oh, the Democrats are trash because we all know the Democrats are trash. But the other guys are clearly worse, and it's just like if, the, if it's not if the shit that they're doing is not motivation enough to at least be like, yo, they can't get back in power. Then I don't know. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? 
I yeah. just don't know where we're gonna I don't know where we're going to be in a year and a half I'm like legit worried in that sense yeah well good news what's good tonight I just got off a commission meeting we're recording this at like midnight because I just spent five and a half hours um, listening to public comment from the uh, local GOP and uh, on one side and liberals and progressives on the other with regards to a public safety civilian oversight board, which we eventually passed unanimously, oh, which was great. Um, and so, yeah, we'll have civilians weighing in on operations of and complaints against not only the police department, but the sheriff's office um the probation office and so just broad o- civilian oversight into policing which is not gonna like totally change the game but mm-hmm. given the fact that like many cities unfortunately too many cities we did pass zero like meaningful criminal justice anything in the aftermath of the uprising last time yeah it's <laughs> like you know it's been a year and a half and we're finally doing the bare minimum but finally we're doing something you know so that that was cool we gotta take our victories where we gotta can. Take go. our, gotta take our dubs where we can. Gotta take them where we can. So, what are we getting into today? So, today we're actually gonna just completely leave the, these terrible United <laughs> States behind us and skip across the pond to Sudan, where last week there was a military coup. So, you know, part of a long history of um, military takeovers and popular uprisings in the country of Sudan. So we're going to talk a little bit about that um, when we come back. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back. Last week, Sudanese military officials started rounding up uh, high-ranking electeds, including the Prime Minister of Sudan, um, dissolved the joint civilian military like governing board at the top of the government, and we're pretty much like, yeah, this shit's ours now. And the people weren't fucking stoked about it for some reason. Um, started taking to the streets, uh, strikes and sit-ins uh, all across the country. Uh, but this is not the first time that this has happened to Sudan. So let's take our listeners a little bit back to where these troubles may have started. Sudan was colonized by the British from the 1890s up until about midway through the 20th century after World War I. The Sudanese nationalism movement picked up with the British finally granting autonomy to the Sudanese people in 1953. The fairy tale ending, the end. Yeah, that's all, you, that's all you need to know. That's all you need, all to, you need know. to know. Just kidding. Um, there's a civil war conflict from 1983 to 2005 in the country between the central Sudanese government and the Sudan People's Liberation Army, which was a guerrilla movement. Um, it was largely a continuation of the first Sudanese civil war from 1955 to 1972. And together, these conflicts lasted about 22 years. It is one of the longest civil wars on record. Um, so the war resulted in independence for, uh, for South Sudan six years after the war ended. Um, so a social. Yes, go for it. So a socialist by the name of Gafar Nimiri. Nimiri. Mm-hmm. I think I think I said I that think, right. I yeah. Gafar Namiri. I, I, I feel really good about that. For some yeah, you can um, go. No, but they were a socialist that served as president from 1969 up until 1985, during which time he eased factional tensions between northern and central and southern Sudan. But he was overthrown by his defense minister while in the United States in 1985, giving room for Al Bashar to take power which he continued to hold on for 30 years. And so Al-Bashir, yeah. Uh, Al-Bashir, sorry. Every country I lived in, Senegal, I believe, but when I lived there, the president had been president for like 20 years. Cameroon was the same sort of thing. Yeah, so Al-Bashir, he was the the dictator um, of Sudan up until about two years ago. So let's fast forward. December 2018, there's widespread protests against poverty, corruption, and unemployment. Um, first in the northeast region of Atbara, and then with, within days spread to the capital of Khartoum all across the country. Um, people started calling for al-Bashir, who had led the nation's military leadership, yeah, 30 years, to step down because he had been wanted by the International Criminal Court over charges of genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity. 
in the 2003 Darfur con- conflict, which killed 300 and th- 300,000, 300,000 people. <laughs> 300,000 300, people, yeah. That's like, oh, we got new numbers. 51,000. Then, um, in uh, April 2019, the military disposed of Al Bashir. Uh, suspended the country's constitution. They closed the borders and the airspace, and they imposed a three-month state of emergency. So thousands of protesters occupied the front, of, the front of the army headquarters. After that, they demanded civilian rule, and the military government brutally cracked down on all the protests that was in front of their headquarters in June. And they killed dozens doing it. So, since the overthrow of Omar al Bashir. The transitional government um, was composed of civilians and military are working together under the leadership of the new prime minister, Abdallah Hamdok, to move the country toward democratic elections in 2023. There have been all, you know, the fucking military just swooping in like, oh, we're going to put you in power and now we're going to take you out. Now we're going to put this guy in and now we're going to take him out. So trying to move towards actual democracy 2023 was the goal. Is the goal? We'll see. Power sharing between the military and civilians have been increasingly strained because there is a lot of debate over whether to send al-Bashir and others to the ICC, um, you know, to be tried for their alleged atrocities in Darfur. So off the bat, what is what are your initial thoughts about all this so far? I mean, I just, from, you know, from like a somewhat naive, like American perspective, I'm just so fascinated by... Um, the role of the military in like sort of controlling the direction of the government in countries that aren't ours. Because um, like I guess when he like our cl- closest modern day brush with an attempted coup, you know, January six, da da da, questions of the election last year. People asking like, oh well, you know, people in the military love Trump, you know, oh the police love Trump, whatever. What if they try to align with him and? And like, you know, uphold or, you know, try, try to throw out the election results, whatever. And like set the country descends into martial law or something. Um, and we found that wasn't the case. And so just contrasting that with our own circumstances, I'm just like, what makes what makes it different? What makes it different is the question that like really, I don't know, tickles my brain as I learn more about. Um, I'm not sure what makes it different. Um I know that this isn't necessarily the first time that this sort of template has gone down in Africa, just in the sense of like military or guerrilla factions kind of taking on that sort of role or where it's like, oh, if the civilian government is either corrupt or doing something that we don't like, that we're going to swoop in and take them out of power and then we'll give power back to the people after we're done. I mean, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that, that, that concept you know and i i don't even imagine that that's like something that's exclusive to africa but that's something that growing up i've heard about that sort of thing happening all the time the only problem is that the military usually doesn't <laughs> doesn't end up giving power to the people after the power back. and that's that's i guess where the the you know, true danger of it comes in you know so like like from one and from one end, it is kind of like fascinating because it's like, damn, you know, it was cool that they they looked at the situation and they were like, oh, okay, we don't think that this is working out. There's this dictator in power, or this guy's been in power too long, or whatever the reason is. It's fascinating that they they the military is like a completely separate entity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, there's usually somebody who's behind there who's looking at it as a power vacuum grab, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I can think of is that, like, the concentration of capital in the United States and that, like, really, you know, it's an oligarchy in the sense of, like, you know, billionaires own Congress, own all the means of production, own everything. And so there's, like, the, there's, like, greater stability that comes with that. Not in a good way. It's, like, it's so, um, the power is so entrenched of, like, people trying to uphold this order so that folks can, so the billionaires can continue to get richer is perhaps a key difference mm -hmm. that I could identify. But um, let's see. So where are we at? Where, where do we, so, okay. Yeah, we're, right, so we're, we're uh, caught up in present day. Yeah, yeah. So then just a week ago, we're getting back to Sudan now, just a week ago, the Sudanese military dissolved the transitional government and started rounding up and detaining high ranking government officials, including the prime minister. Now, in the wake of this latest coup, strikes and civil disobedience have broken out again, particularly heavily concentrated in the capital of Khartoum. Workers at state oil company uh, Sudapet joined pilots from Sudan Airways, Badar, and Tarko Airlines. Doctors across the country and striking until the government is back in civilian hands. Though military leaders are still saying they plan to hold elections in 2023, as previously promised, but just heard us go on about that. We'll see. That's very, that's a very, very shaky ground to to stand on. And quite frankly, I mean, in, in this day and age, it's like I don't necessarily know if. Well, it's not even unnecessarily know. I don't believe that the military has any intention of actually holding that election in 2023 because this isn't. I mean, because it's now, you know, who's going to do anything if they don't? What's the next excuse going to be like, oh, well, there's inflation and um, oh, food prices skyrocketed. So we took control and we'll we'll do elections in 2023 and the 2023 rolls around and like, well, oh, man, really sucks that there's another pandemic or whatever the fuck happens. And oh, well, I guess we'll hold elections in 2040. So yeah. but we, will, we promise. And if they I mean, if they don't. What is going to happen? Well, the international community is already starting to freak out a little bit. And this, as we'll discuss, in, you know, soon um, might be a part of the conditions underlying previous successful attempts. Uh, no, su su yeah, successful attempts um, for the public to mobilize, to depose leaders they didn't approve of. So the World Bank called the disbursements for operations in Sudan last Wednesday in response to the military seizure of power and the Biden administration, too, suspended $700 million in aid to Sudan in retaliation for the coup. Um, which brings us up to now. At the time of recording, the prime minister is still in detention, is saying he'll never willingly step down. But you've got cap, you've got, uh, you know, labor strikes. You've got capital strikes on the part of international, uh, uh, you know, world governments, etc., um, so the mounting pressure against uh, the military leaders that have taken over. But what to me is really interesting about this is that the toppling of regime after regime, Namiri and then al-Bashir, now possibly the military that has taken over. Um, all of these regime changes have come about through mass nonviolent demonstrations by the people. Sure, there have been violent revolutionary struggles in Sudanese history, you know, in 1993, an armed guerrilla movement operating out of bases in Eritrea was launched, but failed to provoke a more widespread popular uprising. And it was disbanded in 2006. And then later in 2013, protesters turned violent during um, civil insurrection during that year. 
but they got crushed within days and scores of, of civilians died. And then in 2019, the people rose up peacefully and power transferred. So just like, I, that is another thing that's baffling to me, having just lived through the biggest um, uprising in American history last summer and having seen nothing change as a result, effectively. How the fuck is this possible? And is something like that possible here? Like could, like, if we had, if we had like mass mobilization density enough such that we could change things on a large scale for real. I mean, I think that we could if we had large enough, but I think in the case of Sudan, you know, there's, there's just a number of factors. Like for one, you can't underestimate the motherfuckers is tired of war, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the 2006 is 2006 seems like a long time ago because it is a long time ago, but it really isn't that long ago. And when you got like serious like national traumas that are going on and shit like that, so from that perspective, they just had genocide going on like just the other day. You know what yeah. I mean? Like from a relative standpoint of like 2006. So from that, I'm pretty sure that that weighed. However, these things are calculated. I'm pretty sure that weighs heavily on people in terms of like, hey, we're going to get out in the street. We're going to protest. We don't like this government. But at the same time, ain't nobody's trying to like go through another like 10 years of like <laughs> bloody civil war and shit like that. But, you know, it's like knock on wood that that was able to happen and that those revolutions were able to happen peacefully. I don't know exactly how they did it. Well, let's look at a few major forces that were identified, at least in the 2019 overthrow of Al-Bashir. So, got international sanctions. International sanctions further crippling an already precarious economy. You've got disaffected youth who feel they have nothing to lose. They're taken to the streets in mass, like, fuck it. Um, we got protests all over the country with diverse class and ethnic participation. Um, because there's a long history of civil disobedience and violent clashes with the military, people have also learned new tactics as a result of their mistakes. So when once protesters would build barricades and face off with soldiers from behind them, um, in 2019, they learned to build barricades and run um, to frustrate the military's efforts to navigate around the city while also reducing civil civilian casualties. So they'd build these barricades in the middle of the street or something like that and then take off running. So then, like, when the tanks roll up or whatever, tanks it's to get through. It's not a bunch of people standing in front of a tank. Yeah, to just get fucking yeah. annihilated by the... Yeah. Who else we got? We got the Sudanese Professional Association, which is an alliance of trade unions leading the calls for general strikes and mass civil disobedience, which I think is something that we definitely could build upon here. I think there... Well, you know, we just exited what they were calling Strike Tober, Dear Workers on Strike, uh, a was it UAW, um, IATSE with the, um, you know, the, the what do you call it? Like Hollywood motherfuckers, you know what I'm saying? What, what, you know, what, what's a formal term? People who work on sets, etc. almost went on strike. Kellogg's, all these people going on strike. And so there's recently been a resurgence in interest in labor organizing as like a locus of power for the working class. But it's still not enough for us to have the same impact as something like the Sudanese Professional Association, I would say. And that like they were like, yo, it's going down. And like the doctors were striking and the pilots were striking and the shops are all closed. Everyone's like, I we doing this because someone with that sort of credibility and um, 
connection to people's lives, like called upon, you know, let's do this. And people, you know, he did the call. So you got that. Um, you got people coming together to swerve on attempts to divide and conquer along regional lines, which getting back to the United States, like I tried to think of an, of an, a scenario in which the left and right would be united. Because, like, you know, the same way the North and South and Sudan, not the same way, but parallels. So there's tensions along, like, religious and regional lines. But they all were, like, they all dropped the beats to be like, nah, fuck Al-Bashir. We're taking this the same as public out. Um, and so trying to imagine a scenario which here people put aside those differences to be like, you know what? Nah. We are we are standing up against blank. Well, I think it has to, I think in order for something like that to go down here, everybody would, like a lot of people at the same time would have to realize that they have like a vested interest in getting out in the street like that. You know, and it's just like, I don't think we've had that yet. Even with what we experienced last, or what was it, last summer? Or the summer before? Yeah, last summer. Even with what we experienced last summer, I don't think that Americans have viewed the their situation in that prism yet. You know, now, like a hypothetical situation that I think could have caused something like that. And this is something that I don't think that like right-wingers and GOPers are really considering themselves. But like if if the election had gone down last time, right? Let's say the election gone like went down and all the stuff that we're finding out in the aftermath of Trump being out of office about, oh, he tried to do this and he tried to do that and they tried to steal it this way and he tried to stay in that way. Like, what if that stuff had happened? And that, like, now we're sitting here. See, that's what I mean. Like, all this, like, right-wing shit is all projection. Everything that they say, they say because that's, like, actually what they want to do. You know, so, like, we've been spending the last year they've been talking about, oh, the election was stolen, the election was stolen, the election was stolen. That's because that's the shit that they want to do. They want to, like, steal an election. Because I guarantee you, if, like, I mean, whatever polls say, if majority of these Republicans really, really, truly, truly, in their heart of hearts, thought that Donald Trump won, they would be, like, January 6th would be every day. Everywhere. Nationwide. They would not stop. They, like, you know what I mean? There, There would be no... There would be no like wishy-washiness that they're having and the convenience of when they want to be outraged and mad about it and when they don't want to be outraged. So just have hypothetical situation. The election goes down. Trump is like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in office. They do a bunch of smoke and mirrors legalese to like try to pass it off as like, yeah, this is what it, this is what's going on now. I think that would be a situation where you create it and you look and you're you're like, oh my goodness. Americans are just out in the street. There's, there, you know, what I mean, there's, there's moderates, there's, there's conservatives who don't like this, there's liberals who don't like this, there's progressives who don't like this. This is just the people will not stand for this. They're, you know, I think something like that is what could bring bring about that sort of thing in the U.S. Barring that, barring us getting to the the brink of like democracy not working, we've talked about this millions of times. There's just there's just too much comfort in America to like elicit that sort of reaction out of the populace I think unless like the situation is obviously dire yeah well there's a couple other notable I think conditions in these in these uprisings that um, are worth discussing briefly 
You got strong female leadership in the streets. What's up? I think that also somewhat mirrors what we saw here last summer of like black women kind of like leading the thing. Um, so how do you think that affects it? Um, I just feel like there's something I don't I don't not to be biased, but like nurturing about like female leadership of just like just mama bear on the streets. You get the people <laughs> fired up like, oh honey, do you need a tissue? Or whatever. Well, I mean, um, women just care about stuff more, and when you're when you whenever you're like do. working in a, like any sort of like a, I don't want to say like a creative endeavor, but like just like any sort of like task sort of endeavor. You know what I'm saying? It's like like women care more about the tasks that they do than men do. You know what I mean? I feel like men is like, I don't like the way this is going. Fuck it. Let's burn this shit down. I don't know what it is. Women run shit around here. I mean, like in my political organizing, I was always found that like ladies get shit done. <laughs> we do. I don't know what it is. It's a beautiful thing. But one of the last, um, I think, pieces of you know, layers to the success of these popular uprisings in Sudan is that is the choice of peaceful protests. It ends in strikes, which makes it difficult for the regime to depict the movement in a negative light. And uh, nonviolence, when met with safe violence, drumming up sympathy for the cause that brought more and more people into the streets. They see images of like innocent people getting gunned down by military forces. And they're like, yo, that's fucked up. Like, oh, look how peaceful they are. They're having a little dance party. Because I heard, you know, reading reports of the 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 atmosphere at some of these protests, you know, they got DJs, they got people on the streets kind of like vibing, having a good time. People seeing that spirit, not even, you know, stay violence aside and being like, yo, I want to be a part of that as opposed to, I mean, I know this is, this is just a neutral, just reporting, I'm not taking a side on it here. But as opposed to like here where like there was, you know, Antifa fucking bashing in the windows of a Chase yeah. bank or whatever, you know, being people like, oh, how dare they? They're, you know, I don't want to be a part of that mess and uh, not in, it is somewhat diluting the, the the message that they're diluting the message, diluting the yeah. power, the, the, the draw of the movement itself. So you also got to factor in how restrained the forces that you're going against are you know what i'm saying and i don't i don't know if it's because of the internet or like the modern times that we're in or because like some of these regimes are like getting softer in their old age or some shit like that but i've personally been kind of surprised at some of the risk you know what i'm saying like for all the cracking down that they did on the on the uprising quote unquote here it could have been worse you know what i'm saying and like like oh, yeah. the, the, the protest and like the, the protest in taiwan like i just feel like if this was like the 80s i really don't think china would be fucking around with these cats like like i think they would really be going like coming down on them like real soup like harder than they're coming down on them now like the the protest in haiti and stuff that, that's going on like when we're talking about that same sort of things like i feel like damn if this was like the early 90s or the 80s would they really be letting these well you know would they be really letting the protest go on like this like like would they you know with the suit with the military the sudanese military if this was 2002 be like as restrained as they are right now mm-hmm. and i wonder what, what i wonder if they, is that because of internet and social media or is, is that a, another factor that's that's involved with that 
Like, are, are they are, like our regimes more concerned in the in modern times about how they look and how things like that, like cracking down and just emptying machine guns into a crowd of protesters? Are they more concerned with like, hey, that's not a good yeah. look? We should. Oh no, do no, that. no. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Actually, the more I the more I think on it, definitely they, they can't do it with impunity because people, everyone's watching. You know, through their camera phones, and then whoever is watching on the other side. Fuck around, um, start like a multi-country fucking protest. Ayo. If only. Anyways. <laughs> we're going to take a little break. And we... <laughs> if only. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. I mean, with the way these election results are going, man, I don't know. I don't know what else we're supposed to do, bro. I hey, I... I just want Granny to have... To be able to afford dentures and shit, bro. Yeah, yeah. I didn't it's... ask for all this. I don't know. What do you What do you think is going to... What do you think? What do you think is going to happen in two thousand two? Two thousand two? I think fucking. What do you think I think MySpace is going to be the gonna move. What do you think is going to happen in twenty twenty two? Oh uh, no, man! We can do a whole separate episode on that shit. We'll see. We'll see. I like to have hope. I was, uh, you know, optimism of the, in, pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will. Uh, I don't know. I feel like. Hopefully, this will be a wake up call. That's what I, that's what I, you know, people will be like, oh shit, shocked out of their, you know, complacency on one side or like taking up more of your stance on the other of like, well, guess the best we can do is defeat fascism and like, you know, get back involved if they had fallen out because they were not pleased with the way things are going. So, whoo, well. Well, let's all just, if, if Democrats want to win, they just need to permit parade texas like keep that in the forefront of everybody's head that look you need that no, to turn the country need, into texas i think you need a little bit of the stick a little bit of the carrot you gotta give the people some material you know uplift pass some bold you know social spending that will make people's lives materially better um because if they're already living in misery threatening them with more misery they might just be like fucking bring it on i don't care i don't care about anything everything's terrible as is make it make georgia texas for all i fucking care you know you can't you can't threaten people if they're already at what they perceive to be their lowest and give them something good give them something good you're, you're not wrong you're you're not wrong you're not wrong at all at the like, same okay. time like think about this like for like uh like young working class like you know work 60 hours a week like i don't know grocery bagger here in georgia that like six roommates to pay the rent you know maybe got they got kids they got student loans whatever like to them abortion is already like functionally illegal and that like they can't afford it they can't get off work to go. They can't afford childcare to go get the procedure. They, you know, might go to a crisis pregnancy center and get told misinformation about it. And then yada, yada, yada. Like it's already functionally inaccessible to that person. So to tell them that, oh, now we're going to make it like really illegal. It's like fucking, what was I going to do in the first place? I can't afford, I can't afford $500 to get an abortion. I can't like, I can't get time off work. I don't have a car. I can't drive three hours to the next, the nearest abortion clinic. So that's what I mean by like, you can't scare people with how much worse things could get. Things are already so fucking bad for so many people. 
And just to illustrate not, with an anecdote. And as always, like, you're absolutely not wrong. I mean, I, I don't... It's not so much as like, oh man, how come people don't aren't looking at it in this big picture macro way? Because of course it's hard for people to, to look at things in these like long scale like views when everybody's like worried about the immediacy of their own lives. And that's totally understandable. But at the same time, you know, for two cats like us who are talking about it, you know what I mean? And like, you know, from somewhat of a you know, we're having a political conversation about it and one that's like encompassing the long term of how the thing goes in. I'm I'm thinking about, you know, like environmental policy going forward if the wrong people are in power. I'm thinking about like just a, like 10, 15 years from now with like the civil rights movement and slavery being taught less in school than it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about, like, the most powerful, one of the most powerful cultural voices in the country being like, hey, trans people are weird. And everyone, you know what I'm saying? And having millions and millions of people, yeah, yeah, trans people are weird, are they? You know, I'm. it's like I think about how these things, like, are affecting, like, the long-term effect that it's going to have. And it's just, like, from that, you know, it's like I understand why nobody is concerned or why people are more concerned about what's going to happen next week than they are concerned about what's going to happen in 10 years. I get it. But also, <laughs> looking at 10 years, it's like, shit, man, this is it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. You know what is good? Rap music. Rap music. The music, music is very of- good. The artist about to talk about. Let's talk about it. All right, let's. Uh, we're gonna get into a music discussion right after the jump. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. 
you can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink that's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, party people, we are back. Dope Knife, Lingua Franco, waiting on reparations. Music discussion time, motherfuckers. Yes, and up first we have Omar Majid. Um, wait, wait, what's the theme? Why don't you tell them what's the theme? The theme, okay, discussion? so we got a mixture of Sudanese uh, hip-hop artists and, oh, shit, um, and folks of the diaspora who either draw influence from, um, you know, the sounds of Africa or who themselves are, um, you know, uh, Sudanese American, Sudanese Canadian. I think one of these cats is surprise and some surprising names you might not, you might not have realized um, had Sudanese heritage. Um, but first, we're gonna get into you know some political raps, which are our favorites, with Omar Majid and his song Sudania, Sudania. I don't know, uh, featuring um, G Sali, Addy Proof, and AKA Keys. So this song, it's going in on, he's calling out the corruption of the Bashir administration um, that goes on while people starve and go without medicine. Um, it's just it's a scathing indictment of the the previous regime. So let's get a little listen. You've been eating off a platter. You well fed while they struggling for bread, putting bullets in their head, nigga. They don't really matter. They want say, homie, you don't got to pay. Yeah, so the music video has really graphic depictions of mm. violence against what I presume are protesters by the military. Um, warning if you look it up. Um, but they go hard. They just really do call out the economic inequality, the people who are hoarding all the gold, eating off the platter, you know, sitting pretty, um, ordering the military to go crack down on folks who have nothing, who are, you know, going going without basic necessities and, you know, filling the streets with nothing to lose um, in, in, you know, in retaliation, in response to the deprivation that they're living through. So I'm not sure if this song came out in 2019, but it's got it. it the YouTube video that we're watching is from 2019. It's, it definitely has um, the same sort of energy in some that some of the music that was being made in the wake of the George Floyd protest. You know, like that yeah. that sort of. You know, I'm on the I'm on the ground in the thick of the shit, and I'm observing it, so I'm writing about it. It has that sort of vibe to it, but obviously, it feels a lot more pressing because the stakes in this situation feel a lot more uh or a lot more dire i would say and the video accompanied with it too like brings that all to home like mariah said it's it's really graphic it's, it's showing 
you know, the, the, the same sort of uh, scenes of protest that you would see on the issue if you're watching the news, but because it's, you know, a music video, they're afforded the ability to show you like the, the, the real effects of the violence. So instead of you just hearing oh, some, the police cracked down on some protesters and 12 of them died, the video is actually showing you dead protesters and stuff like that. So you can put faces to it. And, yo, also on like an aesthetic note, with regards to the rhyming, the, this, the, the bars the bars are good. Oh yeah, first verse, the first verse. First, oh, the no, first the stays, nice. stays, yeah, stays, yeah, yeah, stays yeah. clean throughout. Yeah. So big shout out to uh, Omar Majid. Up next, we got Sudanese American rapper Odyssey. Did you know Odyssey was Sudanese? Yes, I did. I Odyssey. did not know. I did not Odyssey, know. not only is Odyssey Sudanese, but he's also from DC too. So it's like, oh you know, yeah, that's he like grew my bar right Spring, there. Maryland. Yeah, <laughs> apparently a lot of Sudanese and other African communities up there. Um, but yeah, he's with Mellow Music Group, and in this song, you grew up off of his album The Iceberg. He tackles the experiences of being, you know, in the African diaspora in America. Um, his born name is Amir Muhammad Al Khalifa. He's the son of a Sudanese father, an African American mother, grew up, like I said, in Silver Street, Maryland. Um, and in this song, he discusses growing up, growing apart from a white childhood friend who blames his father for stealing his job. So let's listen to this song by Odyssey. The law was a blesser. Grew up in the Midwestern town where there weren't many brown people he could see reflection. Got picked on in school. I mean, I really like. I feel like it's a it's a unique, like a, perhaps not unique but underutilized um, format, like the narrative structure in a rap song. And I think here is a great example. He tells a really interesting story, you know, painting a picture of his um, working class childhood, going to Six Flags and hanging out um, with his little best friend and it's interesting like class wise I think this is like a, a much interesting very interesting broader commentary so class wise he identifies like he was both working class trying to make it out of hood um, and they talk about being best friends despite they were different colors um, but then his like the influence of his parents he blamed my father for the loss of his job he said immigrants rob citizens jobs and I better never set foot again in his yard. Um, I'm gonna, you know, let's, th- this this is essentially what happens <laughs> if, if we're just to add like some poetic license. Essentially, he's telling the story of this childhood friend who he had, who was a white dude. And as they grew older, pretty much his friend kind of falls down the the MAGA, <laughs> a MAGA QAnon-ish sort of officer rabbit hole. or something, yeah. And yeah, it's like he's uh, got this part where he says, uh, have you ever had a friend become a fanatic? Most of y'all haven't, but if you ever did, you'd understand the one thing that they have in common, that somebody took advantage of their damage as a kid. Like, you know? Like, yeah, I, I, I didn't I think that. about that part. I was mostly looking at like, oh, this divide and conquer thing of like they're both working class but oh I gotta blame someone for the loss of my job so I'll blame the African immigrant mm-hmm. rather than blame like the, the the CEO that shipped that job overseas actually or is you know undercutting wages to pay immigrants less to exploit them and they're both actually getting fucked he but yeah on, he goes on to say got picked on in school during lectures graduated hating everybody in his class Picked on because uh, he, uh, now he's talking about himself. Picked on because he prayed to because he prayed at five to the east and he didn't get 
uh, didn't eat meat that Allah said was bad. One day a man approached him in a mosque, changed his life when he asked him a question. Do you ever feel your life is a, your life was a loss? And what if I could teach you that life is a weapon? That's fine. Woo! Oh yeah, no, don't sleep. People, people sleep on Odyssey. Yo. Odyssey nah, easily is one of the like. If I, if somebody, you know, put the put the pistol to my head and say, hey, you gotta come up with a top fifty. You know what I'm saying? Odyssey's gonna be on my list. Like, and I not only as an MC, but Odyssey is a producer too. Motherfucker be making his beats. Like, Odyssey is the the real deal. And you were saying you were talking about how the narrative is underutilized um, delivery tool. I think it's because it's it's one of those aspects of hip hop that just like whenever you're rapping about like an issue or something like that, it's one of those things that it's very easy to make it sound corny. And, yeah, you and, get that kind of slick Rick, like yeah, hey, once upon a time, no, long, you know, <laughs> exactly. Like if you're if you're if you're in the like a uh, casual headspace where you kind of like just want to rap or you just you know you don't necessarily want to sit down and think too hard about what you're rapping, then don't try to write like a story or a narrative because it's just gonna come out sounding like the the Fresh Prince of Bel Air too. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like yeah. you really you really gotta sit down and really think about yo, how am I gonna convey this information but not be so you know nail on the head with it you know what yeah. I'm saying? and like best reserved for masters of the craft like odyssey well speaking of masters of the craft odyssey being one such master with regards to beats as well our next artist is also a very talented beatsmith um and it's kind of an r&b singer but this song that i picked out by Sudan archives not for sale um, kind of has like a bit of a flow to it, like sort of like, like maybe she got a little MC in her too. But let's listen to the song real quick, not for sale. All right, let's check it out. Was my sister, my strings propagate through space and time, here and there at the same time. The music video is fucking gorgeous for this shit. I think it's safe to say that she raps. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that she raps. I think it's an, it's an, it's a trend increasingly in like R and B. Singer, I mean, we see here that with Beyonce, well, a whole you know, lot I'm, of whole lot of ladies out here that are sort of blurring this line between R and B, or like they they are adopting like a cadence that's so staccato that it kind of feels general. like you're singing but you're rapping. It's, and it's she does rapping. it really well. I, I think I think that R and B has been getting away with a lot of rapping. <laughs> this, the, and for the last like 10, 15 years, there's been a lot of rapping with a singy voice going on in R. Yeah. Not no hate, no shade at no all. Shade, no shade. At all. But it's rapping. I, I know raps when I hear raps. But um, not nah, this shit is this is dope. Yeah. So rapping uh, Stone Star Records, Sudan Archives. It's a self-taught violinist and beat maker who grew up actually in Cincinnati, Ohio, but her work. Um, she says draws on the violent style of Northeast Africa um, and musicians including Cameroonian electronic musician Francis Bebe and Sudanese violinist Asim Gorashi. Mm, this is this is dope. I'm actually really interested in hearing some more for them. Oh wait, she got a little breakdown rap in this too. Yeah, she, oh, yeah. See, I got to hear some more of her stuff definitely. But yeah. the, I, I don't even know what context I heard the song before. But this is dope. I heard it in like a goddamn Coles commercial or some shit. It's so catchy. <laughs> I mean that. I mean that is high price. Yeah. Like, yeah. love you, Coles. Thanks for advertising. Do we know where she's? I don't know where she's actually. I mean, other than she grew up in Cincinnati. If anybody finds out, hit us up. Let me know. 
Yeah. Hey, you know what? As a matter of fact, I know that we have been talking about this pretty much from the show's inception, but I am going to take the time to actually start setting up some of these playlists that we were telling you guys about. Oh, yeah. Uh, we fucking got So it. if you guys, um, I think we'll spread it out between my, uh, what is it, Mark? Maybe my Spotify page or something and, and yours or something like we'll that. We'll figure it out. You guys yeah. go follow, follow me on Spotify. I'm going to start putting up uh, exclusive Waiting on Reparations playlists. So we will actually start one like right now, the African dif- Dysphoria. Dysphoria. Yeah. or something like that and start putting a lot of the stuff in we'll make one with brazilian hip-hop we'll make one with um where else did where else what have we globe trotted to we'll, we'll maybe but everywhere we've been to brazil pretty much all the themes nigeria all the, spain we've been all over this bitch What's up? all of the the music discussion themes that we've uh, been going on we'll just have some ongoing playlists where we'll just continually add songs to those playlists that fit those themes stuff that we didn't necessarily get to mention in the songs and whatnot so from this point going forward if we do an episode where we're like i don't know talking about vegan rap or something like that we will get a vegan rap playlist going <laughs> so that you guys can go check those out hey my name's jay shetty and i'm the host of on purpose I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink 
That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I think that's all we got for today. All we got for this week. We'll see you next week. Maybe we'll do get into the election results a little bit more. Who knows? We could do anything. Fucking. We, we do whatever free, we want. Free Negroes. <laughs> but you know what? We ain't truly free until we have the economic freedom to fully self-determine our destinies. So we are waiting on reparations. And uh, I think maybe it's time we should lie. Rap a little bit. Yeah, let's uh let's get into some rhyme. Give us give free. Hey Joel. Let's bust it. Joel. Oh. Blue collar on the beat. Yo, what's happening? Blessing the beat. I'm West African. Your hood look like Sesame Street. So when the military wanna take executive reach, then we really here to go ahead and get on our feet. But yo, they really trying to overthrow the government. This is how we do it in the motherland. Get up on the street and then go march without a gun in hand. Strong man stretch like a rubber band. Now give a hug to your brother, man. <laughs> it's a freestyle. Hey, my name's Dope Knife. My name is Leroy Franco. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations. Cut me my check. See you next week. Bye. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place 
for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 